0: I do appreciate Sister Grant coming and being with me. This past week she's traveled. We went to first to Milwaukee, then to Shawnee, and then down in back to Madison to Indiana, here, and then of course back home tomorrow. But she has had a sinus infection. Now prior to her being sick, I was sick in bed a couple of days with a sinus infection. And my throat is not the best. Now, I did not pick out a message that would be the best for my throat. But I did spend a lot of time thinking about this message and praying about this message. And I'd like for you, if you would, to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John, the first chapter. the reading of the word of the Lord, we'll have you to stand one more time. John 1, 17, this is only one verse, and I know that you might question standing for only one verse, but we stand in honor of men who come to address us, and that's only proper. But all of us are here as a result of the Word. The Word of God is equivalent to God Himself. For it is an expression of God. A man cannot be separated from His Word. Neither can you separate God from His Word. In the Old Testament and the Psalms, the Bible says that His Word has been exalted above His name. And of course we place a lot of emphasis upon the name of Jesus in the New Testament somebody asked me how could the word be above the name when we can show you according to the Bible that the name is so valuable and so important that it has its proper place in our salvation but a name is only a particular part of a whole and according to Mathematics, no fraction can be larger than the whole. And the name, even though it is a large part of a man, it is not all of the man. But the word is the sum total of everything that God is. And it has to be greater. than the name. So we stand in honor of the word. One verse for the law, verse 17, was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you God for your word. For this simple truth that's found in the Word, we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would indeed come and grant to us revelation, enlighten our minds and our hearts. Thank you, God, and I pray for your anointing right now in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Praise God. And you may be seated. I went into a large Pentecostal Sunday school class outside of our state. In fact, it was down south a few years ago. And I was asked to teach this class on a Sunday morning. And the lesson had to do with the gospel. And I asked the young people if they could give me the definition of the gospel and the Sunday school class was i would say as large as this section over here maybe a, maybe a little smaller than that it was a long long room full of young people and out of those young people present there not one could tell me or give me a definition of the gospel i met in a debate with a Baptist minister about six or seven years ago, he had challenged me to a debate because we had won a lady from his congregation. In fact, she happened to be the ladies auxiliary leader of his church. And of course, the Baptists place much, much emphasis in believing. And we structured the meeting. I was not too excited about this meeting because usually there's just a lot of bad spirits and things that come out of these meetings. But we met in the home of the lady who had been converted. Contrary to our agreement, he brought with him one of his fellow ministers. But we had a good group of people from his church present there and some from our church. We were to first explain what the gospel was. He had a chance to explain, then I had a chance to explain. And then secondly, we were asked to explain what salvation was. The Baptist minister said salvation is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. So I was asked what salvation was, and I simply said, salvation is Jesus Christ. And then the group asked me to explain why I said salvation was Jesus Christ and not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. My answer was very simple. Believing is something you do. And we are not saved by what we do, but by who He is. Of course, this disarmed the Baptist minister because he felt that we had a salvation of works. See, salvation is the gift of God, not a gift from God, but of God. That means God Himself is Salvation. So, sometimes in our definition of some biblical words, we can become very, very confused. Now the gospel is the death of burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the good news. Jesus Christ died. He was buried. He arose again, according to 1 Corinthians 15. Salvation is Jesus Christ. Now, grace is a particular word that is very, very difficult for most people to explain. In fact, I don't really know out of all the years that I've preached that I actually understood grace until just a few months ago. In a real quest for knowledge in this area, I set out on an extensive Bible study relative to grace. I want to preach tonight on the grace of God. You see, we live in the grace dispensation. We call it the grace dispensation. Most people feel that the grace dispensation is the age in which much leniency is shown to mankind relative to sin. That's not true. In fact, I know what the Bible says about the Old Testament, but I also know that when Jesus Christ came and when he started introducing grace, he put it in a very different fashion from which it is interpreted today. A man who experiences a sexual encounter with someone of the opposite sex, it is called adultery. But Jesus said, If a a man looks upon a woman with lust in his heart, he hath committed adultery in his heart with her already. Murder is taking by physical force someone's life. But if a man has hate in his heart toward his brother... He is a murderer. Now that doesn't sound like a lot of leniency being granted towards sin to me. And I think if you look in the Old Testament, you will find that some of the Old Testament prophets and Old Testament saints lived lifestyles in which would not be acceptable in the church of the living God today. Now, you can't deny that. I mean, if one of our preachers came along here and tried to pull some of the things Abraham did, he wouldn't wouldn't hold a fellowship card with the United Pentecostal Church. Now, that's not to say that Abraham was a bad man. No. It just simply means he lived in a different time frame. And my whole point in saying this is that we should not interpret grace to be leniency. That is granted toward human deficiencies. That's not what it is at all. Now, I know that grace, by interpretation of the Greek, means divine favor. Or that divine influence of God upon the heart. Now, you see, every now and then somebody will have a problem, and, and maybe, maybe something just hits them so heavy that they can't hardly stand it, and so they weep and cry and pray for days. And then they stand up and say, oh, but God gave me grace to stand. Now, they make the grace of God sound as if maybe it's some special anointing or something you know, it's an additional measure of the Holy Ghost, it's an additional measure of God upon their life. That, but but that's not what grace is at all. Now, please understand that there are many areas of grace that you can get into, just like faith. What is faith? Faith starts in the mind. It's it's a it's an idea, a concept. It starts in the mind. It builds upon the premises of hope and hangs on to hope. But faith that is abstract, that is outside of human action, is not faith at all. For that which grips the mind coupled with energy is faith. But you cannot separate in the Old Testament faith from trust. Trust, for the most part, is an attitude that you manifest toward someone. So while I'm going to give you a line of logic according to the scripture about grace, please understand that I am not trying to summarize or to give you the total scope of grace. But because we do live, according to the New Testament, in the age of grace, I think additional preaching on grace is certainly in order. This is the grace dispensation. Do you really know what that's all about? We trust that that through the Scripture tonight that we will be able to help you somewhat. Now, there is no scripture in the Bible that says, Now, grace is. Now, there is a scripture in the Bible that says, Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, I don't really know that I even understood after I read that what that was all about. I would say that I preached for years before I really got a grip on what faith really is. Now, faith is just manifesting a trust. It's not just psyching yourself up. You know, uh, you, know you, you just don't go and, and, and just psych yourself up to believe something. Faith is it starts out in trusting the most valuable asset that you have is when you surrender realizing that you can not do anything with your hopeless, lost self. You can't be your own redeemer. So you turn to God. And that turning to God is the start of a life of repentance. But the trusting... Must take place before the turning is there. So you cannot separate submission to God from faith in God. For this reason, a lot of people just think they can live like they want to live and live like the devil all week long, and just lay hands on people and you know and see, see cancers fall off and all of these things happen. And so they can just say, in Jesus' name, stand up and walk. Now, I know the Bible places much importance uh, on you verbalizing, making the commitment, speaking it out. Just speak the Word. Now, I, I know all of that. But I also know that there's a lot of people that speak and nothing happens. So it isn't all together in the speaking. You know, you may see some great man of God lay hands upon someone and speak the Word and they're healed. Peter said, silver and gold, have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. He spoke the word and he just, he didn't even pray for the man, contrary to what we might think. He never prayed for the man. He just commanded him, got him by the hand, and, and, and the man got up and walked. In fact, he did more than walk. He leaped, he ran, he praised the Lord you see, you may see somebody doing that and you say, oh, it's in the speaking. Now I guarantee you if I wanted to, I could find enough scriptures in the Bible to give you one hour of Bible study tonight on the importance of speaking what you feel. But you see, the problem is there's a lot of people that speak things they don't feel. And the feeling that you have in your heart toward your God. Which is a basic which is a basic feeling of total confidence and trust in him. All right. All right. Amen. Your speaking only denotes your faith. It's important to to speak it. But you see there's no real hocus pocus in the name of Jesus. No magic in it. No. You know, you just can't say in Jesus' name, get up and walk. People say that all the time. Nothing happens. And you see, I'm coming to the conclusion, I'm talking about for myself, that if I would depend on less and less of what John Grant can do, which is very, very limited, and more and more on what God can do, and if somehow I can get the right attitude toward God, that is a... See, I... I, I could pray with people at the altar. I pray with a lot of people at the altar that that have been filled with the Holy Ghost. But you know, after a while, a little bit of that success like that, you get the feeling that that the answer lies in you. It doesn't. It's in God. See, you you don't fill them with the Holy Ghost. And if somehow I could get down there and, and help them to believe that you're going to receive the Holy Ghost when you totally submit and trust in God... You're lost, aren't you? You can't make it without God, can you? You turn to God because you're miserable. Now, faith and grace are twin sisters, they go hand in hand. Let me just explain to you something here that I think would be valuable for you to understand. Now, there's no scripture in the Bible that says, now grace is. And the reason why is because faith is something that you manifest in God, but grace is a work of God. So, faith is your part, grace is God's part. Now, in the scripture, there are several subjects that that just seem to go hand in hand like this. And I've explained this in several public meetings in Wisconsin, but I think it would be in order to go through this tonight. Like justification and sanctification. Now, there is a difference in sanctification and justification. However, they are so closely related that you can't explain one without explaining the other. Now, basically, justification is you going to God, submitting yourself to God... God then looking down upon you and forgiving you. Taking your sin away. Casting it into hell. You see, the sea of forgetfulness, according to the scripture, I believe is hell. The baptismal tank, the waters of baptism represent the grave and hell. Hell. The old man that is buried in that water. This old man is taken and judged at the judgment seat of Christ, which is set up right now. See, we think the judgment seat of Christ is something we're going to appear before when the rapture takes place. Well, any place where God is and where judgment is passed, we could consider that the judgment seat of Christ. But the judgment seat of Christ, according to Scripture, is set up right now. For if you will judge yourself, ye shall not be judged. That simply means you can go before the judgment seat of Christ tonight. And you can plead guilty of all of the verdicts and the edicts of the Scripture. God then will show mercy to you. And cast all of your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. Some people's sins go beforehand to be judged. Others come after them. Now when this happens, the Bible says in Romans the 8th chapter, There is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh but after the Spirit, And when the rapture takes place, every man who is living without condemnation, that simply means he's not guilty. God has justified him. That simply means he's made him just as if he has never sinned. That's what justification means. Just as if he had never sinned. But sanctification is when God touches you and He then sets you aside or apart and you begin to live according to the holiness that has been placed in your heart. Now, in Acts the 10th chapter, probably one of the best passages of scriptures dealing with holiness is found and let's just turn there to, to Peter who is up on the housetop and here he is praying and the Bible tells us that the spirit of the Lord came and rested upon him and he saw the heavens open verse 11 And there was a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now we know according to the epistles in the New Testament that that God allowed man to kill the beasts that were forbidden under the old testament law and he allowed them to eat it. I suppose it'd be all right to eat a rat today if you could say grace over it. Or say a blessing over it. Paul said, you know, if you can ask God's blessings upon it, I guess you can eat it. <laughs> Some things you can't pray for, so you ought not to eat. <laughs> And you know that's dealt with in the New Testament, isn't it? So this must have had some bearing on that. But it had a deeper meaning because he was about to go to Cornelius' household. Cornelius was a Gentile. Cornelius was considered a dog by the Jewish people. This is the reason why that when Peter went there, him being a little bit on the bigoted side himself he stood there and it seems like for a lack of words uh, 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 of a truth I perceive that God has no respecter of persons in other words he, he it seems like what he was doing is kind of telling Cornelius why he was there <laughs> I guess it's alright for me to be here to be with you so it had to have some bearing on the task that was before him but notice what happened there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, this happened three times. Now, I've heard a lot of people criticize Peter for questioning that. But you've got to understand that when there is a doctrinal change, the men in the New Testament, didn't just follow some falling star to change. For it was out of the mouth of two or three witnesses that the words were to be established. Inasmuch as this was divine, God's Word also tells us sometimes to question the divine. Try the Spirit's. To see if they be from God. So there's nothing wrong with sometimes testing the divine. Why? Because we're not divine. We're just simply not divine. And God knows this, so there's nothing wrong with us occasionally questioning the divine. Now that doesn't mean you just go around and with a critical spirit, you're always trying to find something wrong. No, that's not it at all. But where there is a doubt, sometimes you need a confirmation. What did Paul say to the church at Galatia? He said, if anybody comes preaching any other gospel than the gospel that I preach to you, even though he be an angel from heaven, let him be accursed. And why did Paul say an angel from heaven? Because you understand, that's where Lucifer came from. He was called the angel of light. He was called the morning star. Now that simply means that he was the archangel responsible for revelation and truth. Little wonder then why when he fell he became the father of all lies. See, he's a master at his business. And Paul understood that in the spirit world there are some good angels and some bad angels. And so if an angel appears unto you, it might be a good angel, but it might be a bad angel. So I can't question what Peter did. I'm not going to say Peter didn't have faith. I'm just going to say that that there was a little bit of a change taking place here. He's living under grace now. He's getting a new revelation. Now I want you to notice verse verse, uh, 15. Rise But Peter said, Not so, Lord, 14. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, common vessels in the Old Testament were considered vessels that were not dedicated to the service of the Lord. But there were certain articles that were picked out of the households and such that were melted down or smelted down and made into vessels of honor. And they were placed in the house of God. Now the reason why that the curse of God rested upon Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, was that he took a vessel from the house of God to desecrate it in the presence of, of his friends. And when he began to take the vessel and use it for purposes of which it was never designed to be used, the hand appeared and began to write on the wall many, many trickle euphoricin, And that very night the judgments of God rested upon him. Why? Because that vessel was a consecrated vessel. It was not a common vessel.
1: And what God is saying to Peter,
0: Peter didn't know at the time, but when you get to Cornelius' household, you're going to
2: find a man whose prayers and alms has already come up
0: as a memorial before me. Now, when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ,
2: and when He takes our sins away, it's the
0: touch of the divine upon our
2: lives that makes us different.
0: If you go to the country of England, the common man who walks the street, he's called a common. That simply means he is not of royal blood. But my Bible tells me we are not commons. For we are a royal
2: priesthood. A holy generation.
0: Praise God. Now, this is the root of holiness. It simply means that God touched my heart with His Spirit. And made clean inside. Now Paul goes on to say, "Know you not that your body is the temple of the Lord? If any man defile
2: the temple of God, All right. him shall God destroy. Okay, For God loved the holy temple, which temple ye are." Amen.
0: What he's saying is there was a touch of the divine inside of you. The Lord. And if you have a resort back to a life of common living, you're asking for the judgments of God to rest upon you, brothers and sisters. For this reason, you will find in the Scripture that Satan does his greatest work among the children of disobedience. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now you think about that. And if you don't believe that's true, you read 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And read the book of Jude. He does his greatest work among the children of disobedience. You see, God made you just as if you'd never sinned. Now, in justification, Christ dies for you. But you see, in sanctification, you understanding the value of separation... You live a holy consecrated life. Sanctification simply means I now will die for Him. In other words, I submit myself to Him just like He submitted Himself to the human race. When Jesus died upon the cross... When he cried, Eli, Eli, lama sabbathani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, Jesus Christ had previously looked at his mother. Evidently his father, earthly father, had already passed away. He looked at his mother and he looked at John. He said, Behold, my mother. He gave his mother away. He was breaking ties with his mother. And then the Spirit of God looked down upon the fleshly body of the
1: Son of Man and departed from it. That you present
0: your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto Him, which is your reasonable service. He said, it's only reasonable you do that. He laid down His life for you. In other words... Justification is God's response to you and sanctification is your response to God. Now, the reason why I said that, if you understand that, you're well on your way of understanding a basic fundamental truth about grace. Let's turn to Hebrews, the fourth chapter. This this little short passage of Scripture has so many great truths in it. Hebrews the fourth chapter verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Now infirmities here is dealings dealing with weaknesses, deficiencies. Now, let's go on, though. But was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Now, let us therefore come boldly. Now, this has been interpreted by a lot of people in the area of faith. They say, Jesus said, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. Or Paul said, or the writer of the book of Hebrews said, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. And so, as a result, sometimes with a quite bigoted, arrogant, proudful approach, we ascend to the throne. And we say, here I am, Lord! I'm your child! So I am here to get what's mine today! But the truth of the matter is, That's not the approach that he's talking about at all. When a man approaches God, he approaches God trusting, submitting, believing.
1: It's a bold approach because he realizes that only God can save him. It's like the publican that was in the temple. He smiled himself upon his breast.
0: He didn't care who saw him. You let a man fully repent, my friend. He doesn't think about who's watching him. He doesn't care about his friends or his neighbors. He smites himself upon his breast. And he says, God have mercy upon me,
2: a sinner.
0: You see, that's the bold approach that Paul's talking about. Now you notice the reason why that I'm interpreting it this way is because when you approach the throne of what grace? What is given there? That you may obtain mercy. The Bible doesn't say that you may get grace. It says that you may obtain
1: mercy. And mercy is the withholding of judgment. Now, that simply means that you come to God. You say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm lost, oh God. I'm trusting in you. I've made a mess out of my life. I'm unhappy.
0: I'm lonely. I just need you, God. I need you, God. Now, you see, the Bible says the soul that sinneth shall surely die. Now, if God did not make exceptions to some of His rules, you would not find the word mercy in the Scripture. Now, mercy is the withholding of judgment. That simply means God withholds judgment because of an action on your part. See, the Scripture says, The soul soul that sinneth shall surely die. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The beauty of this is that God looks down and sees your submitting, repentant attitude. And when He looks down, He says, I'm going to make an exception
2: for that man. He will not die in hell. He will not be cast into the lake of fire. Don't you believe that's what Jesus had in mind? When he stood and said, Except ye repent,
0: ye shall all likewise perish. What was he doing? He was making an exception to the original law of Genesis 2. The soul that sinners shall surely die. Shall surely die. So my faith. Sends me to God. My faith thrusts me in the presence of the judgment seat of Christ. My faith causes me to cry out to Him. His mercy then endureth forever. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise Hallelujah. Now, it is indeed the judgment seat of Christ, but it is called the throne of grace. The throne of grace. After mercy has been granted, God then puts it like this. Listen very carefully. You see, Thomas said, Behold, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, Thus thou believest because thou hast seen. But blessed is the man that believes and he's never seen. You see, the law of Christ is not like this. I will show you certain things if you will believe me. No. It's the other way around. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He doesn't save you and then you believe. And these signs shall
1: follow them that believe. He doesn't put the signs in your life. And then you believe.
0: You must first believe and then you see. Praise the Lord. And God is working upon this particular principle. You came to me really not knowing outside of what my word says as to what I would do and what my response would do. For I first required faith. Now God binds himself to you for one moment. And that is the present moment only. Not according to what you were, nor according to what you will be, but for now. For this reason, you see a lot of people come into church, give their heart to God, pray through, get a beautiful experience in in the Lord, and go out and live like the devil tomorrow. And people say, well then how come God gave the Holy Ghost tonight? Because God does not determine His relationship upon what you do tomorrow. Now what you did yesterday. But he binds himself to you because of the fundamental belief that you have at the present moment. Now here's where grace comes in. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace works in direct proportion to your faith. Just like sanctification and justification going hand in hand. God is saying this. You put your confidence in me. You favored me. Now, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put confidence in you. I'm going to favor you. Not according to what you were, Brother Aaron. Nor according to what you're going to do tomorrow. But according to what you are right Now, and these signs shall follow them that believe. The belief was their faith. The end result of God honoring their faith were the signs that followed. That was an act of grace upon them. You favored me, I'll favor you. You put your trust in me, I'm going to trust you. And the reason why that the grace dispensation is the last dispensation before the trumpet is because God is trusting in this apostolic Jesus name, one God, Holy Ghost, tongue talking,
2: all running, foot stomping, handicapped church to take us
0: home with Him. Praise
2: the Lord.
0: Thank you. Hallelujah! Now let me just show you something in the Old Testament. Turn back to Genesis, the sixth chapter, and we'll take a look at, at Noah. And it came to pass, while men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with men, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days and also after that when the sons of god came unto the daughters of men that they bear children unto them and the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown and god saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and it repented the lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man of whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping things and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. Verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How did you do this? While everybody was partying and having a good time. If you want to know something about Noah's day, look at our world today. It is impossible for some people to have clean thoughts. It is impossible for some people to speak a pure language. For out of the hearts of men today, there seems to be a definite duplicate of the corruption that came from the hearts of man in the days of Noah. But God spoke to the human race. The Bible doesn't say Noah was the only one that he spoke to. It does, however, say that Noah was the man that found grace. God came by and said, Noah, you have lived a clean life in this world. Why? Because I believe that cleanness is the way to live. You have not participated in all the smut and the garbage have come, Noah, because I have confidence in you, O God. Praise the Lord.
1: No, you know it's going to rain, and you've got all of these plans out here. How do you know it's going to rain
0: when it's never rained before? I don't know, God, I just believe you.
1: I really believe you, God. But you see, all of your friends, they all say it's
0: not going to rain because it's never rained before. Noah said, but God, I'm going to believe you anyway. Uh And he looked at his sons and he said, go get the boards, boys. We're going to
1: build the ark. Uh God says, you put that kind of confidence in me. You
2: have
0: never seen a raindrop. You have never seen a rain cloud. You're miles from the sea. You don't even know what it's all about. If you're going to favor me, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my Shekinah blessings upon you. (laughs) When people come by and see you building that ark, I'm going to watch over that ark. Yes, I am. Nobody's going to burn that ark down. Nobody's going to pull that ark apart. You just keep on manifesting faith in me, Noah. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep on favoring you. You see, in the midst of all of this, Noah's life was blessed, even to the extent that he went aboard the ark with all of his children, and God shut the door. And Noah sailed away. Yes.
2: Praise the Lord. God. Yes.
0: Noah found the favor of God upon him. His Grace was in direct proportion to his faith. I'm building the ark by faith in God and God's blessing and honoring my life. Does not the Bible says where grace doth abound or sin doth abound, the grace of God doth more abound? Now sometimes we think that just simply means that if in the event we live in a sinful area, God's just going to come by and just give a whole lot of the Holy Spirit to us. The truth of the matter is, when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's as much of God as you can get. But grace plays this important part. That while everybody's ridiculing you, and everybody's calling you crazy, and everybody's calling you a lunatic, Mm -hmm. and some people don't feel that you have both oars in the water, and some people don't feel that everything's quite straight, all of a sudden, through your constant abiding faith in God, God begins to raise you up. And you stand tall. Hallelujah. And the grace of God begins to rest upon you, brother Cisco. And the favor of God is with you. And people look at you in wonder and in admiration. What's that? What happened when Israel walked out across the Red Sea on dry ground? What's that? What happened when the enemies kept around about her and withdrew into retreat? They were afraid to touch Israel because
2: the favor of God was upon her. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! So when is around child, don't get pounded out. Look up, look up, look up. If you favor God, God's going to favor you. If you manifest faith in Him, He's going to let you have grace in another hour to stand. And people will know
0: that you are God's child. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wasn't that true? When Paul talked about spiritual gifts, he said, you know, here's the way spiritual gifts work. You see, the unknown tongue that is meant to be interpreted is not for the believer. It is for the unbeliever. So that when you are prophesying, you see, I can see a man walking into an apostolic church. Perfectly normal people just seem to go crazy when they get in the presence of God. And there they are. They're clapping their hands, stomping their feet, and they're leaping and shouting. All of a sudden, the critical eye of the man He begins to detect certain things that he doesn't like and certain things we don't do over at our place and so forth and so on. And so he kind of gets down on everything. The preacher stands up and he preaches the word of the Lord. At the conclusion of all of it, somebody stands up and speaks in a language
1: that he has never, never known before. And somebody else stands up perhaps and speaks in another language. And then somebody stands up and interprets it.
2: And all of a sudden, you see that critical man sliding into the altar like a man running into second base. Oh, God. I perceive that God is a truth in you. In other words, great grace
0: was upon the house of God. Hallelujah. 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 Oh. Let's lift our hands and praise. praise God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the great grace upon Peter and John as they stand before the Sanhedrin, the Bible says that they perceived that Christ was with them, even though they were ignorant and unlearned fishermen. Now they beat them. They put them in prison. They beat them again. But while they were in prison the Bible tells me that the church got together and they began to pray. Now I want you to know how they prayed. They they didn't pray like perhaps I would have prayed or you would have prayed. You will notice that the apostles, when they were in prison, not one time can you find a prayer that they prayed for themselves. They never did. Paul and Silas... In Philippi, (laughs) what were they doing? Singing songs. (laughs) They weren't saying, "God, get us out of here. We're gonna rot." (laughs) Oh God! Oh, we're gonna rot. We're gonna rot. We're gonna rot. Great faith. Great submission. Great trusting. No, they weren't doing that. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love you. And all of a sudden an earthquake came. <sighs> you, know what it, you know what it takes for an earthquake to take place? Thousands of years of the packing of the soil of the earth and the releasing of the gases someplace down in the center of the earth. This begins to take place until the cavity and the pressure is so erratic, changing all the time, that the earth literally caves in and starts quaking. Now if you want to know how much God wants to bless one of his children, if you want to know something about grace, take a look at this. A long long time before there was a city called Philippi and a long long time before there was a possessed damsel who paraded in the streets and a long long time before There was a man by the name of Paul and a man by the name of Silas who were born. God began to pack the earth to set the stage for the revival at Philippi. He had it all figured out. Somebody will manifest faith in me and I'm going to show great favor. I don't know how many preachers I'm talking to, but perhaps somebody who's begging God for revival. Listen, you don't need to beg God for revival, He wants it more than you want it. You just need to submit and trust in Him.
1: Praise the Lord. All right. <laughs> Praise
0: the Lord. Maybe some home missionary. God's speaks. Be- to set the stage thousands of years ago in some of the areas even before the cities were built just for a touch of his favor upon somebody that would believe in him. The Philippian jailer then fell down and was going to kill himself. Paul said do thyself no harm the man was baptized that very night in Acts the second chapter uh, pardon me the fourth chapter verse 29 and now Lord behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal And that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them. The divine favor of God. Do you know the reason why that Jerusalem, Jerusalem had such a great revival? Because in the midst of all the heavy persecution, that church, their paramount issue was that the faith of God be manifested in our hearts. That's it. Praise the Lord. That's it. And God says, if you believe in me like that, you know what I'm going to do? With great power, people are going to experience a resurrection. You know something else? There will be great healings in Jerusalem. Wherever you walk, people are going to see you. And after the persecution came and they ran them out of Jerusalem, they saw him down in Antioch and they said, it seems like that that Jesus is multiplied. They say one went away, but there's a whole bunch of little Jesuses, so to speak, down there. And they call them Christians. The favorite God was upon them. I want you to stand with me at this time. I don't know how long I preached. But I tell you what I feel the Spirit of the Lord. You you see, the the truth of the matter is I believe that some people are are really missing the whole plan of God because they, they just can't seem to make the connection as to what God's Wanting them to do. You know, it, it, it's like the man who says, I can't afford to pay my tithes. But one of these days, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, I'm going to get ahead in life and I'm going to start paying my tithes. No, that doesn't work that way. You first pay your tithes and then the grace of God rests upon you. See, that's the way it works. It's you first, then... God. Now his spirit drew you. There's no doubt about that. But it took a trusting attitude on your part to bring about his grace. Now here's something that I want to close with that I feel is so very important. This is a grace dispensation. We place a lot of emphasis upon negative things. It's all right. However, sometimes we can get a little bit overbalanced in our own mind. Let me explain something. Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And most of us stop there. We say, God sees everything you do, sister. Does He? Yes, He does. He hears every word you speak. Does he? Yes, he does. But you see, there's a good side to this too. The good side is, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. He sees every time you kneel to pray also. He sees every good deed you turn. He sees everybody that you lend a helping hand to. He sees every smile that you give to a bewildered soul. You walk into a restaurant. I am not a firm believer that everybody you see you have to witness to. Otherwise, if you did, you'd probably go crazy. You could, you know, because you get in some busy shopping malls, you, you never would get out. But but you see, here's the here's the thing, you know. Just some of the principles of the Bible, we don't see the importance of manifesting. Are living. Maybe in God's plan of redemption for that particular soul, all that soul needs, or possibly could even accept today, is a good smile from you.
1: Praise the Lord.
0: That's right. You see, He sees it all. Now, you know if you take one grain of corn and you plant it in the ground, what do you get? You get a stalk of corn that has probably two ears on it that have many grains. And you see, this is this is what happens when you do good things. And you manifest constant faith in God. See, Hosea said you sow a wind, you reap a whirlwind. Now to give an example of how this works with God, listen carefully. If you decided you wanted to become a millionaire and you decided that you would save $1 a day until you reached a million, you would have to save money for 2,740 days or years, pardon me. 2,740 years to become a millionaire. That's a long time so most people they say well I can't ever get there so they just quit but you see the law of sowing and reaping is like putting your money then in a trust fund where it draws interest 2,740 years of saving one dollar a day its a long time how many of you could save a dollar a day a lot of you could come on I could do that you could do it too That's $7 a week. But you see, that's so far out of reach. None of us try. But if you put your money in an interest account, a trust account, and you drew 8% interest per year to save a million dollars, you would only need to save $1 a day for 66 years. You cut it down from 2,740 years to 66 years. And what a lot of people don't understand is that is exactly how the grace of God works upon you. that every day you are turning good deeds because of your faith. James says, show me your faith without your works. I show you my faith by my works for faith without works is dead. So every good thing you do, God sees it. And he then applies the harvest principle of sowing and reaping. And this is the reason why that some men, through just a short period of time, can gain such great favor with God. and you know something else you'll see some brother that's bankrupt some brother that went bad sour backslid and did everything under the sun and comes into the church and all of a sudden within a matter of months his testimony is shining so bright the people seem to forget about what he was and sometimes people will say how in the world I don't understand that it's because you don't understand the grace The grace of God was in direct proportion to the man's faith. The man was on the bottom. That's why he had to believe in God. The man was bankrupt. That's why he had to get a hold of God. The great heroes of the New Testament who held the keys in their hands preached the word of the Lord. But let me tell you something. Inasmuch as Peter's position was very important to the kingdom of God, I am not convinced that the man who preached the first message is any more important to God than the man who gives the last testimony before the trumpet. And I am also a believer of this, that what will send the end time revival that is needed in this hour that we live in is when great grace rests upon the people. I trust that you know how to appropriate His blessings. Let's each one right where we are.
1: Lift our hands
0: and pray right now. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Thank you. Brother sister. Thank you. Thank you.
3: Feel like you've had a cleansing, you feel like new insights have come to your mind about your position with Jesus Christ. Our God loves what He sees here with hands raised, with hearts open, He loves what He has seen here tonight with our worship. Amen amen sister willie johnson used to sing a song years ago i wish i knew all the words said grace grace god's grace grace that's sufficient for me that's what we heard tonight the sufficiency of god's grace so ironic just so ironic that brother grant would say some of the things he said tonight We've been talking about that the last two or three weeks at home. Some of the, even almost the same words. I praise the Lord for the confirmation. We need His grace. I want to thank you, Lord, for saving
1: my soul. that song, and it dawned on me that most of us are believers here, and we have been saved. We know what it means to speak with tongues and to feel the cleansing of His Spirit, but there may be those who are gathered with us who have not felt the Holy Ghost come inside. There may be you who are standing here who need to be filled with His Spirit. We're going to sing that again, and if you take that by faith that when you come here and stand, somebody will pray with you. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. It's only by His grace that we're going to be made whole. It's only by His grace, His grace. You can't get grace from anybody else but God. I can give you mercy, but I can't give you grace. That's His commodity. you did have the Holy Ghost only from the Lord. If you're here tonight and want it, we'll sing it again. Come on down with faith in your mind that you're going to get in the grace of God. Be filled with His Spirit. So
2: I thank you, Lord, for saving my soul.
1: Faith, come on, receive grace.
2: Thank you, Lord, for saving.
1: I want to say to you that there's somebody up here depending on some help from you, perhaps. Why don't you find somebody to pray with before you leave? If you have to go, take a moment, bend your knee maybe in your own pew where you're standing and pray. I want you to pray before you leave. We've come together for fellowship. We've heard the word. Let's have fellowship with God's word and God's spirit In God's people, find a place to pray before you leave. Maybe you want to pray with somebody who needs the Holy Ghost. Come on, let's have fellowship with the Lord tonight. With somebody, praise the Lord. Everybody, find a place to pray. Be dismissed when you feel like you need to go, but find a place to pray before you leave. Talk to the Lord about this message. Ask the Lord for greater grace than you've ever had. Let it be a blessing through you to somebody else. Tomorrow's a great day to experience somebody and the grace of God. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.